Thank you, Brian. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to GFC this morning. My name is Warren Wright. I'm a leader here at GFC, and I'm very excited to study God's Word with you today. Um, you heard the announcements about Bible pens and outlines and child care, and so I don't need to repeat that. So I have a question for you as we start. Have you ever needed help? He's honest, he's honest. Um, have you ever been in a situation where you could not help yourself? Now, when I was a kid, many such situations, of course, but my brother and I used to help my dad around the house when he fixed things in our home. On one occasion, my dad was up on the roof, he was on a ladder, fixing something on the roof, on the edge of the roof, probably a gutter. Now, bear in mind, when I say we helped my dad, I mean we stood around and watched him and perhaps got things for him. And since I was about five, I couldn't really get anything heavy and I couldn't really do much anything useful anyway. Um, but anyway, back to the story. So my dad's on a ladder on the edge of the roof doing something with a gutter. And then something goes wrong. Either the ladder slips or he slips or something. But the net result is that my dad is dangling by his fingers off the gutter. Now, literally hanging off the edge by the tips of his fingers. He would think, okay, let go, fall a few feet to the ground and you'll be okay. No biggie. But if I recall correctly, he was on the second story. He was fixing gutters above the second story bedroom window. And there was a prickly holly tree beneath him. <laughs> Thank you. So just letting go would have been a very bad idea. I mean, pretty terrible. We don't need to go into details, but bad. Um, talk about a situation where you could use a little help. So my older brother and I were, like I said, too young to be of any direct assistance. So my dad sends my older brother to go and fetch my mother. So he disappears into the house. He obviously talks to my mom, comes back. But he comes back without my mother. But he comes back with a message from my mother. And he says, Dad... Mom is watching tennis on TV and can only come at the next commercial break. <laughs> so at this point, my dad realized that his messenger had not adequately captured the essence <laughs> of the situation. And he decided to uh, deliver the message himself in a loud voice. Now, my mom then realized the situation and came and got the help and everyone lived happily ever after. <laughs> now, the reason I told you the story is just to give you a little example of what we will see in the scripture we read today. We will see that we need external help because the earthly things that we trust in, our kingdoms, they will fail us, like the ladder failed my dad. We'll be looking at John 18, verses 28 to 40, and if you've got one of the church Bibles, it's on page 588. Now the point that I would like to show you from today's text is this. The truth is, earthly Man-made kingdoms will fail us, but only Jesus' spiritual kingdom will save us. Just like my dad needed external help when he was hanging from the edge, his kingdom had failed him. His minions were of no use. <laughs> this is why I've entitled today's sermon, Extraterrestrial Salvation. Now, extraterrestrial just means not of this world. And we see that we need a salvation that is not of this world. Now, to put this in the picture of the whole book of John, remember that the main point of the book of John is actually given in John 20, verse 31, where John writes, These, this book, 
are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so by showing that Jesus' spiritual kingdom can save you, this text shows that Jesus is the only Savior worth believing in. Okay, before we dive into the text, let's contextualize our passage a little bit. The Gospel of John is a book that narrates the life and death and, well, the life and death of Jesus Christ. And we are in the general section that narrates the arrest, trial, and execution of Jesus. And our specific passage is about Jesus' trial before Pilate, the Roman governor. And I'm going to quickly recap some of the events that brought us to this place, that brought Jesus before Pilate. Now, Jesus said many things while he was on earth. During his public ministry, his primary message was this. Jesus said that he was the Son of God on a mission to save sinners and grant eternal life to those who believed in him. He also said that his message was the truth, and every other message was a lie. That he was not of this world, he was from above, and we are from below. Okay, that was his message. How did the audience react? Well, some believed, and the rulers of Israel wanted to kill him. They tried to stone him at least twice. The charge was blasphemy for which the just punishment according to Jewish law was stoning by was death by stoning and blasphemy is just dishonoring or defying God but there's a very curious interaction Jesus actually shows that their use of the law was unjust in fact at one point he challenges them to find anything he's actually guilty of and they can't and bear in mind they didn't actually have the power to execute them any to execute Jesus anyway they were a conquered nation the Romans were their overlords, and only the Romans had the judicial power of capital punishment. We see that in today's text. We'll get there. Something else Jesus did is he performed many signs as fulfillments to prophecy and many wonders as demonstrations of his power and proof of his claims. In fact, he even raised Lazarus from the dead. The guy had been dead a couple of days, and he raised him from the dead. And yet, even at the scene of Lazarus' resurrection, the most amazing thing, the chief priests and the Pharisees refused to believe in him. We see in John 11, 47 and 48, they say, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They started plotting to put Jesus to death to kill him because he was a threat to their influence over the people of Israel. I've given you this recap because we will see that the Jews are implementing this plan to kill Jesus in today's passage. They are bringing it to its final phase. The plan started at the beginning of the chapter where Jesus was in the garden with his disciples and Judas brought a group of soldiers and officers of the chief priest and they arrested him. Bear in mind, the soldiers were probably Roman and so the Roman officials probably sanctioned this arrest. And then Jesus is taken for a night trial before the high priest and then taken to Pilate, the Roman governor, where we start today. All right, let's commit our time in the word to the Lord in prayer. Father, give us hearts that are open to hear and learn. Give me the grace to preach faithfully and clearly. Lord, today's message warns against the folly of hoping in earthly kingdoms and urges us to place our hope in Jesus Christ. 
Lord, be pleased by your Holy Spirit to touch each of our hearts. Lord, may none of us leave here unchanged. May we delight to trust in Jesus more because of your word to us today. Amen. All right, let's read our passage. It's on page 588 of the Church Bible. It's John 18, verses 28 to 40. All right, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. We see three scenes in our passage today. Firstly, there's a scene outside the governor's headquarters with a conversation between Pilate and the Jews. Then there's a scene inside the HQ between Pilate and Jesus. And then back outside, another conversation between Pilate and the Jews. And we have three characters. We have Jesus, Pilate, and the Jews as a singular character. Now remember the main point I said earlier, which was, the truth is this, earthly man-made kingdoms will fail us, but only Jesus' spiritual kingdom will save us. I'm going to try to break that down into two sections today. Firstly, we're going to look at Pilate and the Jews, and we're going to see how their earthly kingdoms fail them. And then we will look at Jesus and see what he has to say about kingdoms and truth. All right, let's dive in. We are now on point 1A of your outline. It says, uh, earthly kingdoms will fail, shown by the hypocrisy of the Jews. As I mentioned earlier, the Jews have been plotting to kill Jesus for a while. The first phase of their plan was to get him arrested. And we see that they charge him with evil in verse 30. But from the conversation between Jesus and Pilate in verse 33 to 35, we see the Jews had probably already charged Jesus with political revolution against the Romans, the whole king of the Jews thing. This charge becomes really clear in the next chapter. The second phase of their plan to get Jesus killed was to have a rigged 
night trial before the high priest. In verse 31, we see that the verdict of this trial was death. They rigged a trial in order to kill an innocent man. The third phase of their plan is to convince the Romans to kill Jesus. Now, this was important because, like I said before, they're not actually legally allowed to kill anybody um, because the Romans had denied them that right because Israel was a conquered nation. Now, this is important because this is why Jesus was crucified and not stoned. Crucifixion is a Roman capital punishment. Stoning is a Jewish capital punishment. Now, John takes a moment out of the narrative here to show us that this is all part of God's plan. He says that even though we've got chief priests and officials and soldiers and governors, the person who's actually in charge is God. It's all going according to his plan. The fulfillment of prophecy. Well, now that we have a good idea of the plot to kill Jesus, let us consider what message John was trying to get across to his audience. And I think the key to understanding the point behind this narrative is to notice the heavy use of irony. Now, irony is a literary device where the intention and the reality are opposite. It's often used to show hypocrisy and to show injustice. Let's see where John uses this irony. In verse 28, we have the whole Passover defilement saga, where the Jews don't want to go into the HQ because they might be defiled. So the intention was to keep the law, even a minor ceremonial law. If you get... If you become unclean, you just take a shower, by the way. That's how minor it was. The reality was they are killing an innocent man. They intend to keep the law. Reality, they're breaking it. They're trotting all over it. How about the night trial? The intention of a trial is to seek the truth without prejudice. It's a definition. The reality was they had a night trial so they could guarantee the verdict they wanted. Or let's have a look in verse uh, 39 and 40, Barabbas. Barabbas is called a robber. In other gospels, he's called a murderer and an insurrectionist. Insurrectionist is someone guilty of political revolution, in this case, against the Romans. So the intention was to get Pilate to kill Jesus because he was a political insurrectionist, revolutionary. The reality was they released Barabbas, the man actually guilty of that. There's even more irony to be found in here, but I think you get the point. Why is John using all this irony? He's showing that the Jews are behaving hypocritically. Their actions are based on lies. John is showing us, by use of this irony, that the kingdom that the Jews trusted in had failed them. Because any kingdom, anything in which you trust and place your hope that is riddled with this much hypocrisy, this much lies and even demands the death of anyone who opposes you, this kingdom, that kingdom, has failed miserably. Remember, the Jews wanted Jesus dead because he threatened their influence over the people of Israel. Their hope was in their influence. This was their kingdom. This is where they had placed their trust and their hope. And Jesus threatened it, so he had to die. Here is the point to remember about the Jews and their kingdom of influence. Their repeated hypocrisy, hypocrisy proves that their foundation, that the foundation of their kingdom of lies, well, was lies, and that their kingdom 
was thus doomed to failure. Now that we have seen the hypocrisy of the Jews in our story, let's see if Pilate fares any better. We are now in point 1b of the outline. Earthly kingdoms will fail, shown by the hypocrisy of Pilate. We see from the text that Pilate is the Roman governor, and part of his job is to act as judge over capital crimes cases. This is why the Jews brought Jesus before Pilate and accused him of inciting political rebellion, and that's why Jesus' trial before Pilate begins. Now, in this narrative where Pilate questions Jesus, John once again uses irony to show us how Pilate's kingdom has failed. There's actually a triple irony on him being a judge. Let's see if we can trace it out in the text here. Firstly, the intention of a judge is to seek the truth. In reality, he doesn't care about the truth. At least in verse 38, he asks, what is truth? But then he immediately walks away. He doesn't care. And can you see the irony? Jesus is the truth. Is there more, is anything more ironic than looking at the truth and saying, what is truth? And then running away? The second irony in his judgment is the intention of a judge is to free the innocent and punish the guilty. But we see that the reality in verse 39 is that he punishes the innocent and frees the guilty with Barabbas. And he knows Jesus is innocent. He's not like he's making a mistake. He says so in verse 38. I find no guilt in him. The third part of his irony of judge is a judge is supposed to be unbiased and impartial. The reality was, he is very partial, very biased to whatever the crowds want. He's prepared to kill an innocent man if the crowds want it. Now remember, irony is a literary device used to show hypocrisy and injustice. Thus, the point of this irony is the same point that we learned from the Jews. Any kingdom in which you place your hope and your trust that is filled with this much lies, this much hypocrisy, and demands the death of any opposition, that kingdom has failed, and it has failed miserably. So what was Pilate's kingdom? Our passage doesn't make it super clear, but we can infer a few things. Notice that all of the irony is centered around his judgment. Perhaps he had placed his trust in his position of power. He feels secure because as judge, he can sentence any opposition to death. Sort of a, you irritate me? Well, off with your head. Or perhaps he'd placed his trust in pleasing others. This is why he panders to the crowd so much. Possibly he did this to keep his job. But we can be sure that whatever his kingdom, his repeated hypocrisy proves that his kingdom was founded on lies and is doomed to failure. Uh, the folly of earth-based, man-made kingdoms. I once had an interaction with a man that made this so clear to me. It actually took place on my honeymoon, of all places. And for those of you who've been in the situation, you will understand what I went through. It was a timeshare presentation. Yes, I can see some of you have been through that. Now, I've been told that the way to survive timeshare presentations is you don't ask questions, you don't make comments, you lie low. Keep quiet. Get in, get out. And it's the only way to survive. So we got a very smooth salesman. He found out what we did. You know, you can't be that rude. You have to answer his questions at least a little bit. 
found out that my wife is a missionary to college kids and I'm a grad student working towards my PhD in physics. He highlighted how beautiful the resort was. It's really nice. He was doing a great job. He was kind of convincing. And then he told me that he was fascinated by science. And he was amazed that there were trillions of galaxies in our solar system. <laughs> Firstly, cosmology tells us that our solar system is one of our solar system is one of many inside a galaxy. The other way around, that's pretty catastrophe. That's that's a disaster. Secondly, what the heck is a trillion? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, his sales pitch was this. If you do not take a vacation at our wonderful resorts every year, you will burn out and hate your life. You need hope in your life, hope of rest and recreation. Otherwise, you will burn out and hate your life and die young and miserable. Now, let's get to the lies, the hypocrisy. And don't even get me going again on the trillions of galaxies in the solar system. I'd rather talk about towels, towels. He tells us we have great towels. These are the best towels ever. I have 300 in my basement. And then he says, it's not stealing. They budget for it. You can just take them. It's fine. They, they budget for it. And he says, man, one day I was in Disneyland. They had the best towels there, man. It was just like, it was amazing. I had to go buy a bag so I could take them on the plane with me. So his intention, get this, his intention was to tell me that investing with him was a wise use of my money. The reality was, he's a thief. He's a robber. <laughs> Brennan and I were just stunned at the amount of nonsense this guy was spouting. Uh, his kingdom of rest and recreation was so filled with hypocrisy, there was no way I was going to give him any of my money. But what about our kingdoms? We're now in point 1C of the outline where it says, earthly kingdoms will fail. What about you? Do we have kingdoms in which we trust that are demonstrated to be complete failures by our own hypocrisy? It's not always easy to see, but the truth is each day we invest in earthly kingdoms that will fail us. What's your kingdom? What do you trust in? Students, which actually includes all of us to some degree or another, your intention is hopefully to get a good education so that you can be trained and prepared to be useful to your Father in Heaven. But is your reality that what you have learnt is a distant second to what grade you get? Since grading systems are never perfect, people all throughout history have managed to get great, great grades but poor educations. Isn't it ironic to care more about the grade than your education? How about for those of us who work? We work for many reasons, one of which, one that's pretty common, is we work to provide resources, money, food, clothing. And yet the Bible repeatedly tells us not to rely on wealth, money, or even on our ability to earn it. We are to rely on God as our provider. Yes, work hard. Delight in being faithful to diligently complete the tasks God sets before you. Be productive, but trust in the Lord. Isn't it hypocritical? to profess that God is your provider and then lie awake at night in anxiety because you can't provide or you struggle to believe you can? This applies equally to those who earn money directly and to those who get it indirectly through support raising. What is your kingdom? 
Are you like the Jews? Is your trust in your kingdom of influence? Or perhaps like the Pharisees, is your trust in your self-righteousness? Or like Pilate, your trust is in your power over others, or perhaps in what others think of you. While preparing for this sermon, I had to repent of a misplaced trust that I had in my kingdom of ability and other people recognizing it. You see, I prided myself in the ability to search out the scriptures and craft a sermon. How ironic is that? Isn't the job of a preacher to show how wonderful God is, not how wonderful the preacher is? God is very kind to me to show me my hypocrisy so that I could repent and rather place my trust in Jesus. He's my only hope anyway. Our point so far has been that earthly man-made kingdoms will fail. John has shown us this by the use of hypocrisy in describing the Jews and Pilate. What about Jesus? After all, in today's passage, he has a few things to say about Jesus, about kingdoms and truth. We're now on the second point of the outline where it says that only Jesus' spiritual kingdom can save. The first thing we see here in verse 33 is Pilate using irony against Jesus. He says, are you the king of the Jews? Which is ironic because it was the Jews who turned Jesus in. The words and the reality are opposites. And we know Pilate is thinking this because he says so in verse 35. He says, your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. Now, Jesus responds in a way that shows that he is not guilty of hypocrisy. Firstly, he shows hypothetically that if his intention was to incite violent rebellion against Rome, then his reality would have been that his disciples would have fought against the Jews. So if he was an earthly king, then his intention would have matched his reality. He's not a hypocrite. Secondly, Jesus shows that his intention was never to incite rebellion against Rome anyway. He is not an earthly king. He tells us that his kingdom is not of this world. It is immune from physical attack. It does not need to be defended by physical means. Oh, and by the way, on the subject of Jesus not being a hypocrite, he died a horrific death to save you and I. There is no better proof of his sincerity than that. So what does it mean for Jesus' kingdom to not be of this world? Is he a king or not? Well, Pilate asks the same question. And in verse 37, we see something rather illuminating. Jesus says, yes, I am the king. Then he says, for this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Wait, what? Shouldn't he have said, for this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I've come to the world so that everyone who believes in me can have eternal life and be saved from their sins. Isn't that what he's been preaching for the last three years? The point is that Jesus wants to highlight Something very particular, he wants to highlight that his message is true and can be depended on. That his kingdom is based on truth and can actually deliver what it promises. And what is the essential characteristic of his message that Jesus wants to highlight? His kingdom is not of this world. The salvation he offers is not produced by man. It is divine. Why is Jesus highlighting this? Why is he going out of his way? Well, it is instructional and effective. It's instructional because it is well contrasted with what we see in the Jews in Pilate, full of hypocrisy. It's effective 
Because Jesus knows that our problem isn't earthly. Our problem is heavenly. There's an almighty God with wrath stored up for sinners. And only Jesus in his divinity could turn that wrath away by suffering it in our place. We need extraterrestrial salvation from our extraterrestrial problem. Another way of thinking about this is our problem is not physical. It's spiritual. Our problem is sin. No earthly kingdom can fix your heart. We need a spiritual solution to our spiritual problem. John has recorded Jesus' words to teach us, firstly, that Jesus is not a hypocrite. He is truth and his kingdom will succeed. Secondly, his kingdom is not of this world. His spiritual kingdom is the solution to our spiritual problem. This is a a simple truth. It's a simple truth that we need to be reminded of often. It is sad to think how often we forget this and how often we place our hope in earthly kingdoms that will fail us. But it is a great thing when God gives us the grace to remember the effectiveness of Jesus' kingdom. Remember my story about the timeshare salesman? How I was trying to stay low and get this over with? And how he was spouting all sorts of hypocritical nonsense? Well, there's more to that story. In fact, by God's grace, I was able to present the hope that we have in Jesus to him. Remember, he was trying to tell us that without frequent, amazing vacations, we would burn out, hate our lives, die young and miserable. He kept hammering away at this this fact that we have a choice. We can either get rest with him and enjoy a long life, or burn out, hate our lives, die young and be miserable. Over and over and over again, in one form or another, he kept saying this. At one point, I couldn't take it anymore. (laughs) I told him, I actually believe that there are more than these two options. Um, you can get rest other ways. And then he boldly and rather forcefully challenged me, how else will you get rest? How else will you recover your strength? And I said that by praying, reading the Bible, going to church, true rest can be found. Strangely, he agreed with me for a moment. But then he launched into a crazed explanation of how Moses was tired when he led the people out of Egypt and he had lost hope because he needed rest. <laughs> and the people, the people were wearing him out and so he needed to get away from them. That's why he climbed Mount Sinai to get rest. <laughs> now, I don't know what Bible he had been reading, but I think by the looks of astonishment, exasperation and utter horror on Brenna and my faces, he knew this was a lost cause and he ended the meeting much to our relief. You see, what he, didn't, what he didn't understand was this. My hope for rest and rejuvenation is in Jesus. It's in pursuing my relationship with him. I did not need to place my confidence in his kingdom of rest. Earlier I asked you, what is your kingdom? Where do you place your trust? Do you place your trust in Jesus? In verse 37, Jesus says, Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. How do you know if you are in Jesus' kingdom? It's based on listening to him. If you listen to Jesus, then he's your king. You are in his kingdom of truth. You are of the truth. And what did Jesus say? He said in John 14, verse 16, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man shall come to the Father but by me. It was actually one of the songs we sang this morning. 
Our only hope is in Jesus. But what about if you know that your kingdom is a lie? What happens if you can even see the hypocrisy in your own life? Well, there's good news. Even if you are a hypocrite, Jesus wasn't. If you repent and place your trust in him, then you have ceased your hypocrisy and you've become a member of his kingdom of truth. And his record of perfect sincerity is given to you. In summary, today we have seen that any kingdom that is earthly, that is based not on what Jesus said, is founded on lies and is shown by the hypocrisy of its members and it is doomed to failure. We've also seen that only Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. It's based on truth, not hypocrisy. And it can actually deliver on what it promises, which is salvation. And membership in his kingdom is based on listening to Jesus. So in conclusion, there's a charge. The charge is, consider this. Whose kingdom are you in? What do you trust in? For your whole life? For little bits of your life? For academics, work, friends, each part of your life? What do you trust in? Is your life showing signs of lies and hypocrisy? Then your kingdom is earthly. It is founded on lies and it is doomed to failure. We need to repent of looking for our salvation in earthly, in earthly things. We need to repent on placing, of placing our hope in anything other than Jesus. Because only Jesus can save. Let's pray.